Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Lord, we just thank you so much for everything you do for us, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord God, that you help us to see our way clear when everything is smoky and misty. We help you, Lord God, that you help us, Father, with those things that we are helpless to do ourselves. We praise you, Lord God. We we ask this morning for open eyes, open ears and open hearts as we come around your word in expectation, Lord, for change and for more of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, take a seat. For those of you who don't know, my name's Daniel. And... um, I have the honour and privilege of being able to speak to you today, and I do see it that way. Um, the title of, of my talk today is The Choice is Yours. Does that sound good? Depends what you're choosing, I guess. But yeah, it's a good thing to have choice. So, as you know, I'm a builder, and I've got a couple of homes to show you. I must say before I show you these, I did not build them, which is good, but... Um, if we could, let's go to the screen. There's one. There's another. And just stop there if you don't mind. That's the same house. And that's the cliff face that's fallen into the sea. And the house sits there actually just about to drop into the sea itself as well. That's nice, eh? Next one. All right, just hold there for a second. So that's actually, you might remember a couple of years ago, the big storms that came through Sydney and washed the whole sort of section of the harbour away. And so these homes were multi-million dollar homes, as you can imagine. And then overnight, that's how it looks. It's the same shot. There's old mate's pool, you can see there, on the top right. Is there one more? And there's another one. Actually, there might even be a couple more. Just... That's a sinkhole. You don't like to build your house on them or that. Yeah, I think that's about it. And as I said before, I didn't build any of them. (laughs) And luckily. So um, one of the first things that I want to talk about this morning is the foundations that we build our life upon. Have a listen to this. Matthew 7, um, verse 24 to 27 says this. The wise and foolish builders, it's called. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Wow. And so I'd ask you, out of all of those homes, which one would you choose to live in? You, got a, you, got, you, you remember the title of the sermon is The Choice is Yours. Obviously what Jesus is trying to portray here is that um, our lives are like that. And we get to choose the foundation that we build our life upon. That's pretty good, isn't it? I mean, if we're going to build our whole life, isn't it good to know that we have some choice in the matter? And the choice is, is that we actually get to choose our foundation, which I actually think is quite important. Um, and right now, we're building on something. 
And Jesus is saying that it's actually not that we go to church that matters. And it's not actually that we know his word that matters. It's not even actually that we call ourselves Christians. It's actually what we do with what we know. Jesus said that is, that is paramount because that is when we are deciding to build upon a rock, a firm foundation that will not shift. So even in those moments of life where it's smoky and hazy and things don't seem clear and we're not sure what to do, Jesus has um, instituted a way for us to be solid in those unsure um, situations. He's given us a way to be able to be secure. I mean, Jesus, is, is, um, his name is the rock. And what he's saying is, is that it really has nothing to do with who we associate with. If we associate ourselves as Christians or we associate ourselves with this or that, it's what we do with what we know when we are Christians. People that aren't Christians are building their house on a foundation that is, could, could go from under them at any time. What he's saying with us guys who, who are believers is that we too still have to choose. And it's not that we call ourselves Christians that makes us secure. It's who we believe in. And then if we believe in it, it's the decisions we make because of what we believe. That's what makes us secure. And only then we'll be building on a proper foundation in our lives. Have a list of this scripture. It's uh, Ephesians um, chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who's able to carry out his purpose and to do a superabundantly a more... Sorry, let me start that again. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly more than all we have ever dared ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayer, hopes or dreams, according to his power that is at work within us. Isn't that an amazing scripture? That God has promised to do super, super abundantly more than you have ever hoped, dreamed or imagined. Isn't that great? And then he says this, according to his power that is working within you. According to the choices that you make in regards to the promises he makes. It's kind of like this. I think um, as we go through this, this talk, if we could just think like this. If God promises it, we can have it. If God doesn't, we don't want it. But then we've got to be able to hold on in the middle. Can, you, can Jesus really do super abundantly more than we've ever hoped, dreamed or imagined? Is that real? Is that what we experience? Super abundance. Now I'm not talking about money here. I'm just talking about general super abundance. Super abundant more than we've ever hoped, dreamed or imagined. And um, it's at times like this that we think, well... Even subconsciously, well, I just wonder. You know, we say things like, oh, it might not be God's will. Or, you know, um, we might not know the promise. Or we, all the many things that come against us in life. God isn't a genie. He's not promising us that everything's going to go well for us every single day of our lives. But what the, the Bible does promise from the beginning to the end is he says, I know the desires I have for you, says the Lord, is to give you a hope and a future. And it says this in another version. It says, it says, I'll give you an expected end. I will give you an expected end. What is your expectation of your end? Now, I'm not talking about the end of your life. I'm talking about the end of the current situation that you're in, the end of these bushfires, the end of this drought. What is our expected end? 
Are we raising the bar of expectation? Are we expecting super abundant things to come into our lives? Do we actually know that we can influence our environment for the better? Do we actually know that we can make a difference because the power of Jesus Christ lives on the inside of us? Because this is what it, this is what it means to be planting ourselves on the rock. Because everything else is like sand under our feet. There is no assurances in this world, not one, except for the promises of God. And if he promises super abundance, I wonder if we can have it. Or is it just that it might not be God's will? I just wonder if there's not something else at play here. So the question that we're going to be asking throughout this whole thing is, in regards to choice, in regards to us seeing the superabundance of God, is there a choice that we need to make to come into that? Is there a choice or is it just God's will? You know, it's probably the age-old question, isn't it? You know, if something happens, terrible happens, they call it an act of God. And if um, we pray for something and it doesn't come to pass, we say, oh, it must not be God's will. I just wonder if there's not more at play. Let's have a look. In, um, in, in the parable of the soils, which you, you guys would have all um, heard in Mark 4, it speaks about four different soil types. And each soil type is a picture of the human heart. Now, I've actually spoken on this before, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. But um, the first one is the path. And, it, and the scripture goes, the farmer sows the word. So the farmer is God and he sows the, the word, which, is his, which he calls seed in this instance. And some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the word away that is sown into them. And then there's a rocky path. Others, the, the seed sown um, on rocky places, they hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root... It only lasts a short time, and when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Then there's another soil type, and it's the thorny soil type. And still others are like a seed sown among the thorns. Hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. And then there's the fertile soil, and it says others are like seeds sown on good soil. They hear the word, they accept it, and they produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. Now, this is a real key. I think you would have picked up on it, on the fact that God has promised there's nothing wrong with his seed. There's nothing wrong with his word. There's nothing wrong with his promises. The fruitfulness of his word, though, all depends on what? The soil type. And guess whose choice it is on what soil type we have? It's our choice. In these two parables, what Jesus is saying is he's saying, you get to choose the foundation that you put your life on. I actually think that's free. And we also get to choose the soil type. We actually get to choose the softness of our heart. And what Jesus is trying to say here is that that has every single thing to do with Bearing fruit from God's word. Now, what Jesus is saying is he's empowering us. He's empowering us to say, if you watch your heart, I'll promise you this. And there's another scripture and it goes on to say that, that a farmer sows the seed and then he goes to bed and he gets up and he goes to bed and he gets up and he comes out one morning and the seeds all sprung up and he doesn't even know how it happened. What Jesus is saying is if you worry about what you've got to worry about, I will worry about what I've got to worry about. 
And if he says that we can have a super abundant life and we can be in a better position and we can have an expected end, well, that's what we can have. Isn't that amazing? But the condition of our heart, while we're not sure what's going on, when things seem to be going the opposite, that's what we've got to be careful about. Jesus is very clear. This is exactly what that parable is about. Our fruitfulness depends on our heart. So Jesus is highlighting this. God has made his will clear. It's us who are undecided. God promises an abundant life, but he's instituted a way to apply and receive his abundance. And it's by the power of choice. But guys, as you're sitting there, I just want you to know that's actually a freeing thing. He's always been about choice since the very beginning. The Garden of Eden was a choice. You know, people say, well, why would Jesus, why would God, sorry, put that tree in the Garden of Eden? Because he wanted to give them a choice. We're not robots. But when we choose to accept him, when we choose to believe him, something amazing happens in spiritual realms and it just clicks into gear and everything that God intends and desires for our lives is a possibility. Becomes a possibility. Rather than the breakdown that we constantly see on earth and in people's lives every single day. You know, the kingdom of God comes on earth. Jesus, he died and he came first and then he died to institute the kingdom of God where the king could have his will be done. You know, and we live in a world where all we see is breakdown. God wants to bring breakthrough. But he needs us, guys. What... What Jesus is actually highlighting in these two parables is the cooperation between God's desire for our lives and our letting him do it. There is a cooperation there, and it's a choice. A great example of this, an amazing example of this, is the Israelites. Now, I'm not going to go into this in, in detail, but everybody's heard of, um, of Moses and Abraham and, and, the, and the patriarchs and Israel and all that kind of stuff. But essentially, it's like this. So God has promised Abraham that he'd create a people group and that they, this people group come out of one man. So one God promised one man without children, I am going to create a people group through you that will be more numerous than the sand on the seashore. Now, you all know the story of that. He was 100 years old before that prophecy even come to pass. And it was like, God, what's going on? But he held fast and he believed in God. And guess what God did? God did what he said he would do. But it says it wasn't just because God wanted it, it was actually because Abraham believed him that he actually came to pass. So it goes on and um, it, God actually promised that this same people group, he promised Abraham, he told Abraham that this same people group would be in bondage for 400 years in a land that wasn't their own. And this understanding or prophecy would have been passed down from generation to generation to generation. They didn't have books back then, and so they just, every child that was ever born in the Israelite um, nation would have known about this prophecy. Then, fast forward 400 years or so, however it worked, and you find Moses. Now, Moses, Moses was, um, was born, as you guys know, in, into the, you know, as an Israelite, but he, he's grown up in the, in, uh, the Egyptian um, uh, palace. But the Israelites that were in bondage and slavery, they knew that there was a promise on their life. They knew that their destiny wasn't to be in slavery to the Egyptians. 
Because they would have known, and that what would have been passed down to them from every father and mother from Abraham was that if you find yourself in a place where you're in bondage, God is coming to get you. And then what happens with Moses, as you know, is Moses um, steps into the scene and God starts doing amazing things in the kingdom of Egypt where the Israelites are now slaves. And Moses steps in and he, and he um, starts performing amazing miracles. And all of this was done to try to stir the hearts of God's people. Here I am. Remember when I promised that I would do this thing? Remember when your forefather Abraham said that I would come and get you, that I would rescue you? Well, here I am. And then what you see is all of these miraculous signs take place. And, um, and, and it all happened through Moses. And, and the Israelites just stood back and watched the power and the awe of God. He turned up. He said he would and now here he is. It's amazing. He's come to rescue us. And he did the 10 plagues, as you know. He, he, um, he'd done all these amazing things because the, the um, Egyptian king wouldn't let the people go. And so he just brought plague after plague and, and, and sign after sign. Eventually, he just said, get out of here. Get out of here. You, you, I don't want you here. Go, go. And, and the Israelites walked out of a free people. And they walked out of Egypt and they came to, as you guys know, the Red Sea. Now, God had done everything he could to instill in these people faith and confidence. He promised them for 400 years that he was going to rescue them. He told them he was going to do it. He turned up. He actually did it. He showed signs and wonders. And now they come to a situation where they're stuck between the Egyptians who just changed their mind and they're coming to get them and this massive um, sea. And they're saying, and have a look at this. Have a listen to what they say. As Pharaoh approached, the the Israelites looked up and there were Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said, Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out out to the desert to die? What have you done bringing us here out of Egypt? Didn't we say, leave us alone in Egypt? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Does it sound like a people who know they've got a promise on their life? Does it sound like a people that, that have for 400 years had a promise that God is going to save them, only to drown them or fail them? You see, what God was actually trying to do with all of these miracles and all of these signs and all of these wonders is he's trying to build in his people a confidence. I mean, God could have just come and turned everybody in Egypt into sand and just walked them out of there. I mean, he could have just clicked his fingers and had him in the promised land. He could have done anything he wanted. But he did everything that he did deliberately. And it was tried to instill confidence into his people. And we know, don't we, that that's what God's trying to do with us. Those things that come against us, those blockages, those things that seem insurmountable in our lives are actually opportunities where God's saying, don't forget what I've done for you in the past. If I've done it once, I will do it again. But the choice is yours. Do you believe me? Are you going to take me at my word? Because if you take me at my word, I will get you through this and you'll be stronger for it. So even after all of this complaining and after they said, God um, decides that, yep, I'm going to do this. So he parts the sea. They cross over and every Egyptian soldier that was after them drowns. Um, Now they're on the other side, walking towards the promised land, this promise for 400 years. And they're on the other side and they're praising God. And two days later, 
They're complaining again. Where's the water? And so God gives them water. And then not long after that, they're complaining about food. Listen to this one. The whole community grumbled against Moses. This is after they got everything that God had done. The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we died in the, um, by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. <laughs> it's a little bit dramatic, isn't it? I mean, God has just done everything he can to brought them out, and that's what they say. Does that sound like a people that know that they're called for something bigger than what they're currently facing? Does that sound like a people group that have been promised for 400 years? It's amazing. Now, after all of that, God still continues to work with them, and now he brings them to the edge of the promised land. Now, this is the promise. This is what it's all been about. That God would create a people group and give them their own land. Now, all this was to be able to protect that people group so to bring the Messiah, which is Jesus Christ. You know, they, they couldn't have known that and wouldn't have known that. But they did have the promise that they were God's own people and they were going to have their own land. Now, God had brought them through, um, out of Egypt, through the wilderness. And now they're at the, the edge of the promise. And this is what happens. So God has asked 12 spies to go into the land to seek it out, just to see how good the land is. Now, what they see when they're over there is grapes as big as watermelons and, and, and fruitfulness and all of this stuff that's just like absolutely amazing. And, and they come back and they say, it's exactly like God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's exactly what he promised. But listen to what they say. So Caleb, there was two guys out of the 12 that said, we should go up and take the possession because we can certainly do it. But listen to what the other guys say. But the other men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And we, we spread out among them. Um, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We seem like little grasshoppers in, in our eyes. That night, all members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we'd died in Egypt or in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? Listen to this. And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Amazing, amazing stuff. Now, this is the most heartbreaking thing that you're ever going to read in the Bible. And I mean that. Listen to what it says. Then the Lord, that same Lord that did all that, said this. How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've performed among them? Isn't that heartbreaking? Did you know that you can break God's heart? God had promised for hundreds of years that these people would inherit the land. And he expressed his desire, but his desire wasn't all that counts. The final choice was theirs to make. And because they didn't take God at his word, and because they didn't believe that he would do what they said he would do, when they came to make the choice, they failed. It wasn't the fact that they looked like grasshoppers. Of course they're grasshoppers. 
It's not that we're strong and mighty. It's not that we can do it. They couldn't have done it, going into a land and, and taking on giants and kicking everybody out. And this was their land. It was always going to be God. The problem wasn't that they thought that they looked that small. It's probably they didn't understand the bigness of God. Do we understand the bigness of God in our lives? Do we know that we get to make the choice whether we take him at his word and believe him or not? For a human point of view, the amazing thing is that these people were actually enslaved for hundreds of years. They would have seen terrible things. You know, these days they call it post-traumatic stress. You can imagine all the things that they saw. 400 years, you know, their children and their, and their wives and, and grandparents and everybody being mistreated and all sorts of terrible things. But God still expected them to trust him, to believe him. Have a listen to this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6. It says, These things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Isn't that amazing? That these things happened, not to condemn us, but to just to show us, guys, if I did it once, I will do it again. If I say I'm going to do it, I will do it. And he's given these examples to us, not to condemn us, not to make us feel like, um, not, not to make us feel bad, but to make us feel free to make us understand the power of our choice, to make us understand that God is serious about doing a super abundant work in our lives. But what he's also saying is you are going to come up against opposition. There is going to be fear. There is going to be doubt. And he's asking us, what are you going to choose? Because the choices we make couple and cooperate with God and they either bring fruitfulness and bring strength and stability so we know the the sand's not going to slip from under us or they bring breakdown. Through fear and doubt. The problem, though, is not fear. And the problem is not that we doubt. And the problem is not that we're tempted. The problem is not even that we sin. Jesus died for our sins. The Bible says that as far as God is concerned, our sin, as far as the east is from the west, and is also in the sea of forgetfulness. That's what, that's what God feels about our sin. David says, he says, blessed is a man whose sins are not held against him. And he's speaking about us. So it's not even that we sin. You'd be silly to practice sin. But if you're a person that honours God and wants the best and obviously you live long enough, you're going to do the wrong thing. That isn't even enough to get in God's way. It's what we do with ourselves at those times. Fear, doubt questions concerns it's what we do with ourselves are we running to God or away from God having a question and being not sure about things is fine questioning God is fine but it's the answers that are sacred have you gone through a hard time in your life and you've come up with an answer and it just doesn't line up with God because that's where the danger is have you gone through something that's just been terribly hard, like the Israelites, where they were in slavery for 400 years and they could not understand what was going on? Because they had a right to question what was going on, but the answers were sacred. It's because the answers is what actually softens or hardens their heart. 
the, the things that we tell ourselves inwardly when we're going through things. When we make our mind up or we come up with doctrinal belief systems that just don't line up with God just because it makes us feel a little bit better. Things like, oh, it must not be God's will. That's fine if, it, if that's the truth. But if it's not the truth, that's not good to say that. You know what I mean? And so I think we just need to be flexible. I think we need to be okay with not knowing everything. I think we need to do what God says where he says, do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge me and I will make your path straight. Because we can get offended at God. But I want to let you know that's not a protected place to be. You might feel a little bit secure in your, in your, in your, in your stance, whatever that stance may be. But Jesus is saying that unless you line yourself up with the word, you're on sand. And unless you soften your heart, you won't bear fruit. Because there's nothing wrong with the seed. God's word is good. Now, this isn't a harsh word, guys, honestly. We all go through it. We all go through it. So I want to leave you this question. Are the answers that, that you've come up with leading you towards God or away from him? Your choices about life and how you see things makes all the difference. Do you believe God, his words and desire for your life, even when you don't understand? Even when it seems like he isn't there? Because the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Now we're, um, we, we all go through stuff. And there are people in here that have been Christian for, Christians for a long time. Have you seen a super abundant God do a super abundant things? And if you have, that's amazing. But if you have, it'll be because you have softened your heart. It's not because God loves you more than anybody else. God says he's no respecter of man. And what he means by that is that I'm not going to love that person over that person and give him more than I give him. We are all held to the same principles. Soft heart, God's seed goes in, we reap a harvest. Build on solid foundation, our life is secure. Build on sand, our life is not. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you're waiting for the superabundance of God, we're going to pray for you. If you don't even believe in God here today, we're going to give you an opportunity to make a choice that will put your life on a solid and firm foundation. God promises that. And if you believe that today and you want to make that choice, we're going to ask you to raise your hand in just a couple of moments. And you're going to get an opportunity to make the choice that I made 19 years ago that changed the course of my life. And I've had plenty, plenty, plenty of times where I was stuck and plenty of times I failed plenty of times that things haven't been and turned out like I hoped but my God is a super abundant God and I'm so glad I made that decision 19 years ago and if you want to make that decision today that would be amazing is there anybody who wants to give their heart to God today and make that choice to put their life on a firm foundation if you do just raise your hand there's no pressure at all but if there is anybody thank you mate if you want to make a difference, not only in your life, but in every person that comes in contact with you in the future, if you want to make that decision today, raise your hand. 
Thank you, guys. Thank you, mate. We're also going to open up some um, prayer over here on the right for anybody else who wants God to do a super abundant thing, just like He promised. Does that sound good? Because I want to tell you, after 19 years, I am more sure that God is amazing. I'm more sure that He's true to His Word. I can promise you, I'm more sure that He's going to do through me super abundant what I've ever hoped, dreamed or imagined. But I can tell you now that I haven't seen it yet. I'm just convinced it's going to happen. I'm, I'm serious. You know, before Moses, sorry, before Joseph died, who kicked off this whole Egypt thing, you know the story. He said, God will surely come back for your people. So when he does, make sure you grab my bones and take, take me with you. And you know what? That's mentioned in the Bible as an act of faith. Joseph, 300 years before God came good with his promise, said, he's coming and I'm going to be dead, but you make sure you take me with you. And I haven't seen the superabundance of God in my life, but I can tell you I'm going to. Not anything to do with me. It's everything to do with Him. And if you've made that decision today, I'd ask you to stand up. Stand up, guys. Let's just now for one second, just thank God for every good thing and every good work. Let's just for one second just thank Him that we can be a difference maker in a time like this where this world and this country and this state needs God's intervention so much. Father, we just pray against these fires. Father, we just thank You, Lord God, that You'll do a work. We thank You, Father, that we open our heart, we soften our heart, Lord God, and we're taking Your Word that says that You can do amazing things, Lord. We thank You, Father God, for this drought, that You will bring rain. Father, we just thank You, Lord God, for the people in this room who have decided that You are super abundant. We thank You, Father God, for this church that acts, Lord God, as like salt, Lord God, and light to a community that doesn't have salt or light. Father, we thank You that we understand that we need to cooperate with You and we give our lives to You today. We thank You in advance, Lord God, for breakthrough and not breakdown. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.